I'm going to talk to you about something that I think the, the world needs to hear. And so we're going we're gonna to dive into that today with how God speaks through, through world events. Now, I want to tell you something before we get going into this. Uh, we're not just going to pick one passage of Scripture today because we can't. We're not, we're not just going to pick one place to, to land because there, you, know, you can go through one passage of Scripture but in reality, how do we form what is called a systematic theology? Well, we have to pull from multiple passages. And today, since you're already sitting there in your pajamas anyway, you know, you got time. You got time to, to, to move through the Bible. So if you don't have a Bible, boy, go get it. Seriously, go get one. And if you got one on your phone, I'm going to be using the New American Standard, the NASB. And uh, we're going to kick it off there. And, and I want to talk to you uh, specifically today about about world events, because I think it needs to be spoken to. You know, I thought, I thought a lot about how, how does a guy like me, uh, you know, there's many, many pastors and preachers across the nation and across the world, and how do we speak to the COVID issue? Because it's not just speaking to the sickness, it's speaking to what is God doing? And I don't want to be... Uh, weak. I don't want to be a weak prophet. And when it comes to, you know, most likely there will be nothing like this that ever happens again in my lifetime. This is one of the greatest events as far as just scope and size that literally in my 47 years I've ever seen. It, 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 there's, nothing, there's nothing like this that I've ever seen. And I think for a pastor or a preacher not to speak to that, I just don't, I think that's untimely. I think we have to, but we, there's, there's definite answers we can't give. And so I want to say this now while I'm thinking about it. This is going to be one of those times today where be careful what you hear me say. And let me, let me tell you why I say that. Um, I'm fir firmly convinced there's two sermons that I preach every Sunday. The sermon that I actually preached and the sermon that people heard. And those two can often not be the same thing, which is why I'm glad we've got video and podcasts, because you can go back. And, and I would encourage you, if, if, if you're driving down the road on Tuesday or Wednesday and you go, wait, did he say that? Go, go back and listen. And, and I promise you, you, you may be surprised. Um, so before you quote me, before you misinterpret something, because that, that's going to be very likely today, because I'm, I'm not going to shy away from this. I'm a lot, I know a, a lot of pastors will not tread into dangerous waters because they don't want to be wrong. And listen, there's, there's some wisdom in that. I... I'm not going to let this COVID-19 season go by and not talk about the God of history and the God of sovereignty and the God of world events because that's what's going on right now. And so today I, I want to I try to meet that challenge a little bit. And, and it really brings up the, the, the question, um, does God cause bad things to happen? Well, it, it really depends on what you call bad. And it depends on how you define bad, right? So I brought something um, today. I brought another uh, object. This is a, an, actually an older hard drive. It's uh, a Lassie, and, and I think it's only 500 megabytes, which you know, they may not even make those anymore. I don't know. But, but this, um, this particular hard drive holds 500 megabytes of, of information storage capacity. So I want you to imagine for a second that this is, this is the human mind. 
I want you to imagine for a second that this is, this is actually the human ability to store information. So you've got a cosmic God that speaks every language. You've got a cosmic God that lives in the future today. Think, think about that. God lives in the future now. He's the God of the past, the God of the present. He's the God of the future. He is unlimited He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. There's nothing he doesn't know. There's nothing he's never not known. You've got a God of that size that we've been trying to for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. We've been trying to put that God into a framework that we can understand. It's like trying to download all of that into that. It's just limited. Once you hit 500, you're done. You're, you, you can't go beyond the borders of this storage capacity. And, and the reason I wanted to bring that up is because that's what we're up against when it comes to trying to, def, to, to understand all that God is doing. And it's very, it, we're very limited in our ability to that. So I want you to kind of hang on to that today as we look at it. So let me, let me give you another illustration. You know, I love what uh, technology can do. If you love baseball, football, basketball, or if you go to concerts, you can go to things like SeatGeek, right? SeatGeek, I love it because you can see what you're, if you're going to buy these tickets, this is what your, this is what your ticket's going to show you. So let me, let me, let me just give you a another way to interpret how big God is and how small we are, especially when you're in crisis. When you're in crisis, you can only, you only get limited amounts of information because it's all over you. So this is a football stadium, right? It's, uh, it's my favorite football stadium. It's, uh, it's the University of Clemson. You guys know I'm a big, big Clemson fan. So, um, so if, if you were sitting, right, this, if you were sitting in this particular seat, this is all you'd see. This, this image, because you're in the stadium, you can't see, all you can see is the walls of the stadium and what's going on in the stadium. So it's really hard to get a, a frame of mind of what's really going on in the rest of the world when you're sitting in one place at one time. But that's what we see. But what does God see? Look at the aerial view. That, that's the entire campus and part of the city in Lake Hartwell and part of, the, part of the, the, the greater landscape above it. And then if you pull out further than that, well, now you've got a, a, a United States view. And the millions and millions and millions of people, that's what God sees. We just see inside the limited context of our immediate surroundings, and it can seem overwhelming. You ever walked into a big concert venue and like, whoa, this room's big. That's all, we're, we're overwhelmed by it. So it, it brings us back to, we only have limited perspective. So let's go back to the question. Does God cause bad things to happen? It depends on what you call bad. Did God cause COVID-19? You know what? I don't know. Now, there are some, I, I, I've talked to some pastors that believe it is, it is an absolute plague sent from God. And I've talked to some pastors that say, no, it's absolutely not that. It, did, did God cause COVID-19? I'm not speaking in code. I literally don't know. He, he hasn't told me. But is God using COVID-19? Oh, absolutely he is. There's no question about that in, in my mind uh, whatsoever. So I want to give you today as we go into this, I want to give you what I'm just going to call a foundational truth as we move through the scriptures today. And this foundational truth is this. Never use one passage to explain all suffering, judgment, or discipline. Don't, let me read that again. Never use one passage to explain all suffering, all judgment or all discipline. Because that's just not how you get uh, what we would call a, a, a better systematic theology of, you know, that, that's why I've, uh, 
I, I've always been a, a big advocate of preaching straight through a passage or straight through a book, but also doing what I'm doing today is going through multiple passages. Because if you even think about the life of Christ, right? We don't have one passage. I think the longest description we have of Jesus, I think, I'd have to go back and check, but I think it's Philippians 2. It's, that's the longest uh, discourse, and that wasn't even in the Gospels. So how do we get a picture of Christ? We have to take from Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the Old Testament, the New Testament. We have to put it all in a jar and, and make sense of it. And that's what we're going to we're going to do today is not just use one passage, but I do want to tell you one key truth, and it's simply this. Regardless of what's going on in the world today, I want to remind you of this. It's never too late to turn to the Lord before it's too late. You can turn to the Lord before it's too late. Regardless of what He's doing, you can all, the, the answer is always the same. Turn to the Lord before it's too late. So let's look at how does God speak. We talked about Audible, the Audible series. Last week we talked about how God spoke through the Son. How does God speak? Sometimes He does use world events. And I believe He's using a world event right now because this is a global issue. Well, here's a couple of, uh, I guess you say, foundational points here, right? One... God uses world events to speak of his incomparable majesty. And the way I wrote, the reason I said it that way, there's nothing that compares to him. There's no close second or close third or even beyond. So God uses world events to display his majesty. And, and one of the, the I think the, the best verses that points to that is Romans 1.20. Romans 1.20 says, I love this verse. It says, for since the creation of the world... God's invisible attributes, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and that, that there's two of them, his eternal power and his divine nature. Those are his invisible attributes. His eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. That's us. We, we are without excuse. So let me tell you what that verse is saying. That verse is literally saying, if God had never even sent Christ that we literally, that creation itself was enough to show there is a God. Creation, as you've heard me say before, creation was God's first missionary. But think about even in the creation act, the act of its, in and of itself, the act alone demonstrated how majestic God is. So that's, that's what... That's what um, creation does. God uses nature. He uses creation to display his majesty. But it's not just the only thing he's ever done. I mean, I'm just going to list a, a couple of quick few. Think about other things God has done to reveal his majesty, how big and without comparison he is. He's given plagues of sickness. He's given drought. He's used famine. He's raised the dead. He's caused the sun to stand still. And one time he fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. I mean, our God is a God of miracles. He's a God of big. He is a God of mind-blowing majesty. So God will use events of all sorts to display how majestic he really is. But the, here's the real question. The real question is why? Like, why does he do that? What, what's his motive right there? Like, what, what is God trying to do when, when he displays a famine or a plague or a miracle or a healing? What is he trying to do? Well, that answer is always the same, I believe. And that answer is that it's to, to show the world who he is. Now, one of the things you see in the Old Testament 
You see it. I mean, there's just too many verses I could show you here. I, I picked one. I'm going to show you in a second. But, but th there's, there's a lot of verses in the Old Testament that, that God will say, I am doing this so the world will know, or so this people will know, or this tribe will know, or this nation will know. I'm doing it so they will know there is a God. So here's one, Exodus 7, 17. When, in the, the whole issues going on with when God used plagues to, to you know, basically get, get the attention of Pharaoh and, and let the people go. It says, thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. See, by this event, by this event you will know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will strike the water that is in the Nile with the staff that is in my hand. So he, he's literally telling Moses what to say. And it will be turned to blood. So by this, Pharaoh, you will know that I am the Lord. By this, Pharaoh, you will know. All the land of Egypt will know that I am the Lord. That's why I'm doing it. I'm going to send frogs. I'm going to send locusts. I'm going to send sickness. I'm going to do these things, uh, you know, because you're not repenting. And so God, God is a God that does those things to, to reveal His majesty. But remember, the answer is always the same. Why? To display His majesty, what's our response? No matter what the crisis is, turn to the Lord before it's too late. That's always the same answer. We, there's still time to turn to the Lord. So God uses events for all sorts of uh, reasons that, that are beyond our, our limited capacity to, to store it in our minds. And I think there's another, another key truth here, and that is that God uses world events to speak of His sovereign holiness. Now let me tell you what, what I mean by that. When you think about sovereignty, sovereignty is that God is in complete control. He is all-knowing. He's never not known. He's never out of control. Nothing sneaks up on him. Nothing is beyond his scope or his power or his presence. There, there is nothing outside of him. He, he, he existed before time, right? So, so why, why does that matter, that, that God uses events to shape and, 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 and testify to the holiness of God? Well, he does it so, so that people can see just how holy he, he really is, right? Just how holy he really is. Now, I, I want to I show you a verse here in Psalm. It's Psalm 22. Psalm 22, verse, uh, verse 28. It says, Kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. Kingship belongs to the Lord, and He rules over the nations. God is sovereign over all nations. And in His sovereignty, He's holy. Now, we talk about holy. In fact, we just, uh, the guys just sang a song a minute ago about the holiness of God. And let, let me tell you something. Um, that's an easy word to use. It's a real easy word to throw around. It's an easy word to sing about from time to time. But friends, I want to tell you, when you read the Scriptures from, from Genesis to Revelation, the Lord is very clear that He is holy and that there's no one like Him or nothing like Him at all. And I think sometimes we lose sight of the fact that because He is holy and because He is sovereign, He can do anything He wants to do. If He owns it, then he's allowed to manage it, he can break it, he can build it, he can sustain it, he can destroy it. He is sovereign over the nations. 
And so God uses world events to, to display His holiness and to display His, His sovereignty. Now, I want to tell you, uh, if you have a, a, a Bible, uh, turn to the very last book. It's in Revelation, and it's, it's called Revelation. It's, it's the last things, the, the document of last things. And in Revelation chapter 19... Um, there, it, it, it talks about what's going to this this final judgment, the end of time. And but I want, there's something I want to point out. I only put one verse on the screen, but I'm going to pick it up in verse 11. And Revelation 19:11, it's it, John says, "I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and wages war." His eyes are a flame. He's talking about Christ. His eyes are a flame of flame, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Boy, uh, that's going to be a pretty dramatic day, isn't it? But there's coming a time when Jesus will come back as ruler and judge, and he will judge the nations because he reserves that right. God reserves that right. It's never too late to turn to the Lord. Turn now while it's, while it's still time. There will be a day where it will be too late, but turn to the Lord now before it's too late. That's always the answer because there's going to come a time. History, as I said uh, in one of our, I think in one of our uh, Facebook live sessions on Navigating Strange Days, history has an expiration date. History has an expiration date. And, and God is sovereign and He is holy and He is going to judge accordingly. Now, what does that mean to us here in America? Well, I, I think it can mean a lot of things. But if you, if you step back for a second and you think about even our own country, you know, today... You just don't hear a lot in the last several years. I mean, I'm going to go back 10, 15 years. You don't hear a lot anymore about God the judge. You hear about God the pursuer of you. You hear about God who longs to be with you, and he does. You hear about a God that comes to, to redeem your sin, which he does. But I want to tell you something, friends. We are dangerously walking into waters where God is there to meet all of our needs and to be our best friend and give us what we need to get us through a bad day. And I'm telling you, of the chief attributes, God is love and God is kind and God is joy and God is faithful. He is all that. But His chief attribute is He is holy. He is holy. And He will not, will He tolerate sin? Yes, He will. To a point. And then there's a time he's not going to tolerate it at all. And I want you to think about our country for a second. 
Think about where we are in America as a whole. If you elevate out to that global view and look back on the last 30 to 40 years in America, I just put a few of these together in, in, off the top of my head today as a country. Think about who, the landscape of America. And this isn't, this isn't universal. It isn't comprehensive about... There's a lot of good things that happen in our country. But I want you to think about the, the, the national consciousness of America. We are, I put a few of these down. We can show them now. Uh, we, we, we're killing the unborn at anywhere from 600,000 to a million annually, depending on who you look at. That we, we, we are literally aborting, ba the, uh, we're living, breathing babies. We're killing them to the standpoint of 600,000 to a million a year. We've, leave, we've legalized same-sex marriage. Gender is now being redefined. Sex outside of marriage is not only normal, it's expected. And that's even happening in the body of Christ. Let me tell you, I, I, I want to speak to that for a second. You might be shocked at the eye rolls that I get sometimes when I even mention that. People think it's unrealistic, and that's just what people do. Listen, sex is, it, it is confined to covenant, but not in the eyes of our country. We have a media we have a media that, that mocks God or God's purposes or God's righteousness or just righteousness in general. Divorce now is pretty much at will across our country. All the things that, that, that God holds dear, our country tends to laugh at or mock. And I'm going to tell you, friends, under that scope, can you expect God not to deal with us? Under that under that bandwidth, can you expect God to just act like it's okay, I just want to be their, their friend? Listen, God is going to judge the nations. And he reserves that right. Turn to the Lord before it's too late. That's always the answer. So how does God use world events? I would say God, one, one more I would like to share with you is that God uses world events to call people back to him. Now, God's got a history of this. He's got a history of using world events to, to be uh, redemptive in, in many ways. Say, so what, what do you mean, Jason? Well, if, you, if you've got your Bible, just go back to the left a little bit to Hebrews. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12. And I want to talk to you for a minute about the difference between discipline and judgment. Because God will often use, He will often use world events as a beacon to call people home. Now, I do believe that that is... And this is just Jason talking, okay? And I do believe this is one of those places where the Lord is using COVID-19. Think about how many of you are Christians right now that, that are, you're realizing just how much you miss l physically being with the body of Christ. Man, I mean, you feel, I feel it. I, that's just one small... God, God, I believe, is using COVID-19 to, to let us understand the power of the church and, and, and how much we need a body of Christ. So God, God is, I, I believe, and there's a few other key areas He's using this, this in our nation to, to, to shake us and wake us about places where we've had idols that have grown up in. And I've spoken to some of that in our, our Facebook live sessions on Tuesday nights at 8 o'clock. Uh, but I'll, as you're in Hebrew, I gave you a minute to get to Hebrews 12. So let's look at what the writer of Hebrews talks about discipline. He Hebrews, Hebrews 12, 4. 
He says, you have not resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. And, you have, and he says, and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. And then he quotes, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, don't, don't miss this, for those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom his father did not, does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we much rather be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness. Look at the target there. Look at the reasoning. He disciplines us for our good so that we may share in his holiness. In verse 11, it's a key verse here. And discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. Yet to those whom has been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And that's, that's the idea. God will use events to drive people back to him. And listen, for Christians, that's definitely true. We're not exempt from that. Now, I want, I want to share with you the difference, though, between judgment and discipline. Judgment is for the enemies of God. Say, so what, what, what do you mean by that, Jason? Well, judgment is, is for people that have turned their heart against God, turned their mind against God. They want nothing to do with God, and they are evil by choice, and God will deal with them. That is judgment. God's done it since the beginning of time, and he's going to keep doing it when, when people have turned their back, and, and they literally spurn or disdain the authority of God. They want nothing to do with it, and therefore they, they go off down the road of evil. God will judge that. But for the Christian, it's different. We are not going to face the judgment of God because Christ took the wrath of God upon himself. Jesus took the wrath of God upon himself. And so Christians do not have to experience the wrath of God. Christ did that. But God will use discipline. He'll use discipline to, to drive us home. You know, I was thinking this week about one of the ways that God used discipline in a way that uh, was incredibly loving. And there's a story we have of it, and, and you don't have to turn there, but it's in Luke 15. It, it's, the, it's the prodigal son. You know, isn't it interesting that the father never lifted a hand? He never, to the younger son, that the, he's probably a, a late teenager, maybe in his 20s, he never grabbed him. He never shook him. He never yelled at him for, having to, for not doing things right. And, and, he, and he didn't beat him down. He just let him go. He just said, if you want to chase the far country, chase, chase the fantasy. I'll let you chase the fantasy. Because the father knew how it was going to end. So that was discipline even of itself. That he let him chase his heart. And all the desires he had in it. Only to let that experience... Can you imagine? That's pretty hard. I mean, I'm a dad. It's pretty hard sometimes to see your children going down a road, but you've got to let them experience the suffering because how are they ever going to learn how to deal with tough situations if we're always running ahead of them and mowing down a path where they never get hurt and they ever never bruised? No, pain is a wonderful educator. Pain and bad decisions always go together. I learned that when I was little, right? Pain and bad decisions always go together. And so the heart of a father, will, he will use discipline to drive us home. And that's love. It's a, very, it's a very important form of love. Now, 
I want to, I want to, I want to bring this home to within in a kind of a little different way. I want to give you what I'm going to call three positive nevers, right? Three positive nevers. So what, what do you mean by that, Jason? Uh, what, how, do, how do we take all of this we've talked about today and, and, and make it usable on Monday through Friday, right? How, how, how do we do that? So I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you, stated in the, in, the, in, in the form of a never, but they're positive, okay? Here we go when it comes to understanding world events and, the, and the, the heart of God. One, never think God is obligated to explain his motives. That is to you. Never think that God is obligated to explain his motives. He, he's just not. And, and I don't say that like harshly, and I don't say that cavalier, you know, flippantly. But I, I, I want to tell you, now let's go back to, uh, let's go back to our, our hard drive here. Our mind is limited in capacity. And what God is doing across the world, if he, if he made it, he's allowed to break it. If, if he created it and he, he wants to manage it and do with it what he wants, he can do what he wants. Our response is the same. Turn to the Lord before it's too late. So, so God is not obligated to answer us for anything that he does. And I do believe that many times we believe that he is. I don't think we would say that. But we, the only way that I can interpret my world is my experience. And I only can look at the world through my eyes. But God doesn't look at this world through my eyes. And he's not obligated to. We know one of the, one of the favorite passages that, um, that I love in this, uh, if, uh, if you got your Bible with you just to show you how, how, God, how God does this, it's in Job. It's uh, turned to, if you got a Bible, turn towards the end of Job. It's, uh, it's, it's Job 38. Now, I want to tell you what's been happening here. If you don't know where Job's at, find the Psalms. If you want to find it pretty fast, find the Psalms. And just go, just, just before the Psalms, you're going to find the book of Job. So kind of look in the middle of your Bible, and it's right there. Job chapter 38. Now, let me tell you what's been going on here. So Job, obviously, uh, if you don't know the story of Job, Job lost everything he had. And he, he, his children were killed. He was very wealthy, and it went away. Job's life literally imploded. I mean, he, he was bankrupt. He went from highest of highs to lowest of lows. And he had a few friends around him, and his friends were telling him, hey, you've done something wrong. You've sinned against God. And, and uh, you know, he's, he's, their friends are putting all kinds of counsel into his ears and Job's trying to make sense of all of this. And then, there, so then there's, there's this place where Job begins to really question God. Now, one of the, one of the things I love about, about the Old Testament is it's amazing what you can say to God and get away with it. Uh, because Job, and, and many prophets did. Listen, Jeremiah certainly did. Jeremiah said some things to God that, I mean, took a, a lot of guts to say. And, and, and you know, uh, so, so did Jonah said some things. The prophets, prophets were known to have a special relationship with God and you know, they'll say things to the Lord. And, and so Job begins to question God. And finally, through all these, it probably took a couple years, but finally toward the end of this whole thing, God decides to speak. He decides to speak. And in Job 38, verse 1, this is what, what is said. And then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind, and he said, speaking to Job, 
Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? That is, let me, tell you, let me, let me translate that for you. You don't know as much as you think you know, Job. And then, then I love verse 3. This is epic. Now gird up your loins like a man, and I will ask you, and you instruct me. Now, that, that phrase, gird up your loins, it means to literally, like, take your garment. They would wear, like, loose-flowing garments sometimes. They could wrap them this way and wrap them this way and put on a belt, and it kind of, like, became a, in, in a weird way, like shorts, you know. And so he's basically saying, get yourself ready. Come stand in front of me, and I'll question you. Stand in front of me like a man, Job. Uh, that's pretty, pretty amazing language. And then in verse 4, oh, I love it. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who set its measurements since you know? Or who stretched it, the line on it? Or what were its bases sunk? And who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy, where, where were you? And, and you know what's interesting? If you read the last few chapters of Job, literally, God never answered Job's question. In fact, there's a, after, when, uh, when he gets through with this, the first thing Job says is, I am insignificant. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's probably how I'd feel too. But do you understand that it wasn't that God was fed up and mad, but he was reminding Job, I don't answer to you. I don't answer to you. Paul says the same thing. He says that can the, can, the, can the piece of pottery say to the potter how you should make me? It, it, it's not, it doesn't work like that. Now, now, why does that matter? I think sometimes it matters because we have to remember, we, I, I, let, let's say I live 90 years, hypothetically. Let's say I live 90 years. I am, I am a 90-year entity in the span of thousands of years. So what God is doing through COVID or what God is doing through a plague or what God is doing through a healing or what God is doing through a nation or what God is doing through a judgment or what God is doing through a revival or what God is doing through a church or many churches or a state or a nation or many nations, he's not factoring in Jason's 90 years. He's going to do what he wants to do because he reserves that right. My response is the same every time. Turn to the Lord before it's too late. Turn to the Lord before it's too late. He reserves that, that right. So he doesn't have to explain his motives. But there's, there's a, a, a couple more. One, I would also, in the positive, nevers. Also, I would say never impose your definitions of good and evil on God. Never impose your definition of good and evil on God. Say, well, Jason, what, what are you getting at there? Well, let me tell you why that matters so much. Is you, your emotions are are real? If you've got, but but they're not the truth, right? Our emotions are real, but they're not a filter for for truth. And and so, if you got your Bible, go to Psalm one hundred seven. I'm going to explain. I'm going to use a passage here that, that really is fascinating to me, and it's really hard for Americans. This is probably that place that if you're going to misquote me, it's right here. So you know, if you need to take a coffee break and walk away and mute the TV for a minute, then you can. Uh, we can come back to it, and watch it later, but. But I, I really want you to hear me, because you're going you're to hear me say something I didn't say right here, and I don't want, want that to happen. So, 
Never impose your definitions of good and evil on God because what we call good may not be good to God and what we call bad may not be bad to God because our, our emotions take over. And listen, that doesn't make us bad people. I mean, come on. When, when things happen that don't go our way, well, yeah, I mean, I, it didn't go my way and I'm mad. And, and, and that doesn't make me a bad person. It makes me a normal person. But what I am saying to you, friend, is don't impose that on God. Don't impose that on God because your definition of what is good or bad isn't always his definition. He reserves the right to be God, right? And, and so, so in Psalm 107, it's one of my favorite psalms. I'm going to start in verse 23. There's four different types of people here. In Psalm 107, there's four different types of people that cried out to the Lord. And the word cry out means to literally shriek. And in verse 23, we get into... Another category. So the psalmist, if you read this whole psalm, he gives you four different personalities and uh, different scenarios, if you will. And here we go in verse 23. He's talking about sailors. Those who go down to the sea in ships and they do business on great waters. Now I'm going to stop right there and tell you. Basically they're going to work. They they got up and went to work that day. They, They just got up and went to their job. They have seen the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. Verse 25, for God spoke and he raised up a stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. Now, I want you to read that again. For God spoke, he spoke, and he raised up a stormy wind. God caused a storm because he owns the water. And if he wants to make it wavy, he can do that because he owns it. That's really, really, really hard for an American to fathom. But it's not hard for God. Read most of the scriptures and you're going to see a God who is willing to do whatever it takes to get people's attention, to share his majesty, to share his sovereignty. Our response is the same every time. Turn to the Lord before it's too late. So it says in verse 25 that he caused up a storm. It says, they rose up to the heavens and they went down to the depths. Let me tell you, you ever seen YouTube videos where these rogue waves and these, these ships and these crab vessels in Alaska and these people that traverse the Atlantic and the Pacific, these ships go up and they say you can be three or four or five stories up and that ship is just, I mean, it's just going up and down. That's what's happening right here. They rose up and they went down. And it says their soul melted away in their misery. And this is, an, this is a fascinating verse in verse 27 to me. They reeled and they staggered like a drunken man. That part I get. But look at this. They were seasick, literally. And they were at their wit's end. Let me tell you. In the most literal sense of the language, you know what that means? Who who were these people? They were sailors, professional sailors, sea-bearing professionals at the top of their game. And it says they were at the end of their wits. Literally, it means they are at the end of their knowledge. They don't know what else to do. You ever been there? Have you ever been in a situation where you literally don't know what else to do? I have before, and I'll be there again, to be honest. And so will you. And it's, look at the, what's the response. Turn to the Lord before it's too late. Look in verse 28. It says, and then, after the storm, then they shrieked, they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. And he brought them out of their distresses. Now this is something really revealing about the, the heart of God right here. I, I don't miss this. Don't miss this. Verse 29. He caused the storm to be still. 
so that the waves of the sea were hushed, and then they were glad because they were quiet. Now, this in verse 30, this is what I don't want you to miss. And he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord. He, look, look, look again. Look, look there in verse 30. He guided them to their desired port, their haven. Did you notice that God took them out into an ocean, caused a storm. There was no port. They couldn't go anywhere. They couldn't hard tie to a dock. They couldn't, they couldn't, they couldn't do anything to fix it. They, they couldn't do anything to fix it. And then it said, out on the waters, he calmed the storm, and then he took them back to harbor. And why did he do that? Out of his love. Because it, you think those, those sailors didn't know who owned the ocean after that? You think they didn't give thanks to the Lord? Because he wasn't about to let them give credit to any safe harbor or the seaworthiness of their ship or the talent of their captain or how good their sailing crew was. It was only the Lord that could deliver them. Turn to the Lord before it's too late. So God will use situations at times. Now, does that mean God causes every bad thing that you call bad? No, it certainly doesn't. It, 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 we, don't, we, we can't fathom that. But what I am saying to you, friends, is that be very careful. Be very, 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 very careful before you call something that doesn't go your way evil. Be very careful before you ascribe something that you don't like or something bad. That's evil. That's the devil. It might not be. It, it certainly wasn't here. And in many other places in the Old Testament. I'm going to give you one more. The positive nevers. Never forget that God remembers the faithful. Never forget that God remembers the faithful. If there's one core truth from Genesis to Revelation, that the Lord honors those who call on His name. He honors those who call on His name. Our response is always the same. Turn to the Lord before it's too late. Never forget that God remembers the faithful. Regardless of what context happens in our world, regardless of what happens in any world calamity, this is just one we're in right now. There'll be more. And the, the, the verse I, I thought about in that was in John 5, where John tells us, it, it quotes Jesus, Truly I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. And he does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. If we repent and turn to the Lord, we will not face the wrath of God. Literally, turn to the Lord before it's too late. We have passed from death to life. And so we don't have to fear anything this world brings our way. You know, I was thinking about world events this week. And it just occurred to me once again. The, the greatest event that ever has or ever will take place happened thousands of years ago when the Son of God died on a cross. The veil of the temple was torn in two. He was dead. He came to life. And there's an empty tomb. It is the greatest world event. It literally changed the course of human history forever. Forever. God uses events. He uses events. And our response is to turn to the Lord before it's too late.